0: uncovering secrets from his past he learns a chilling truth it's best to let sleeping dogs lie visit sleepingdogsmovie.com Wondery to watch sleeping dogs now on digital that's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
1: this is the hash podcast Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Happy Monday, everyone. You are watching the hash on Coindesk tv we got all the regulars and one newbie on the show today welcome tyrone ross host of the on purpose podcast on coindesk thank you for joining us today tyrone we got zach up in the top left corner left corner and will foxley we've missed you dearly it's so nice to see your face zach you have the first story of the day take it away
1: I have the first story, and it's a great one to start off on Monday. The Elon Musk Twitter saga its just so good. He uh, invested a bunch in the social media platform of crypto just last week. He was said to be joining the board to help shape the future of Twitter. He posted some spicy memes and uh, polls on Twitter itself over the weekend flexing his newfound leadership role on the board of directors. And then this morning it comes out that actually he's not going to be on the board after all. This is just too funny. We had to start off with the Elon Musk not going to be on the Twitter board. After all the drama and shenanigans, it's not going to come to pass. But he might also become just like an activist investor in the Little Blue Bird site. He filed a form this morning saying that he wanted to maybe take on a bigger portion of twitter stock to exercise his decision-making power in that capacity so he said hey i'm not gonna be on the board after all the uh twitter ceo tweeted that this morning and now here we are talking about it i'm gonna throw it straight to will because i know he loves some funny elon tweets what's your take on this whole saga was kind of a uh an unfolding adventure over the course of the last week
0: My man Elon has too much to do. So it's actually not surprising. He doesn't want to do that. Also, he's run like three or four companies. He doesn't need to sit on a board and like go through tweets all day. Uh, Parag Agrawal, who's now the acting CEO of Twitter had an interesting note he pushed out as well. He said, we announced on Tuesday that Elon would be appointed to the board contingent on a background check and formal acceptance. Elon's appointment to the board was to become official for nine. But Elon shared that same morning that he would no longer be joining the board. I believe this is for the best we have and will always value input from our shareholders, whether they are on the board or not. Elon is our biggest shareholder, and we will remain open to his input. I think this is a good thing in the long run. It's nice to have some separation between people who are holding all the money and people who are making the decisions. Sometimes you want those two things together. But when you have such a big entity like Twitter, which is you know the place for communication, we have state officials on there, we have biggest sports stars on there we have people like Elon Musk on there. You want to have some sort of separation between the money and the decision makers. So I think it's for the best, but I want to get Teron's opinion on this. Like, Did this shock you to see him make an about face on this change? And he holds almost like 10% of Twitter's outstanding stock.
3: Well, what I found interesting about this is I think the gain that he made in the stock was greater than the revenue of Twitter in the last (laughs) year or something like that I read, which was crazy just from him announcing it. So it's interesting character right we all love elon on twitter just you know him dropping tweets i don't know how it works with him actually owning such a large position of the company but if it gets us an edit button then i'm all for it you know and and, no no edit button can't do it
2: i don't think that elon made this decision i don't think he woke up and was like you know what i'm just too busy and i think i'm gonna give up my board seat at twitter i think that During that background check, everyone who got super excited about the potential of having Elon Musk on the board realized that it just wasn't possible for a myriad of different reasons. So last week when we talked about this story, we talked about a comment from Nick Day, CoinDesk reporter, that said the SEC filing that was originally filed said that Musk would have no influence over Twitter as part of the deal. Obviously, if he took the board seat, that would give him a lot of influence. And, you know, Elon and the SEC just haven't had the best track record. So it was funny for me to open my computer this morning, like you said, Zach, and see that Elon all of a sudden is no longer going to be on the board. And it just sounds like there's a little backstepping from the PR machine at Twitter to kind of explain this away. But Zach, I saw your hand go up.
1: I Jen, I knew you were going to have the sec got to him take and i'm the so SEC glad that you did that i knew it i knew
2: you
1: were coming with the sec that's got to the SEC did this hey hey maybe maybe that's what came to pass that's plausible right like this is someone who in the past has had to have a twitter babysitter for allegedly manipulating stock prices based on his tweets out there so uh the idea that this irks some people within washington is not that far-fetched so jen thank you for voicing that it kind of became a crypto story, right? At first, this was sort of a crypto adjacent story. But, you know, here's yeah. Elon tweeting, hey, why, not, why don't we take, uh, you know, Twitter blue subscriptions and Dogecoin? And we saw some price activity <laughs> with Dogecoin up and down as the meme coin is wont to do. So anyway, it became kind of a crypto story. But for this to uh, be sort of maybe the final chapter, probably not. I figure something else is in store here. But no for, way. This little, no way. for this little, this little, the first <laughs> act of with this story to conclude in this fashion. <laughs> Is just chef's kiss.
0: Yeah, this is just the beginning of something. We all know it. The best part about it, this is entertainment on Twitter all the time. I get to be there and just, just watch it unfold. It's, it's perfect and it's beautiful. We'd stay with another entertaining subject line, though, which is Luna, which is a coin a lot of Bitcoin maximalists don't like, is gobbling up all the Bitcoin in sight. They now have about 40,000 Bitcoin in their treasury which is worth like $1.7 billion at this point. Every few weeks, they're buying a bunch of this Bitcoin to back up their stablecoin, basically creating a reserve so that you can use their stablecoin and it's backed by something. This is something a lot of people in Ethereum ecosystem have been building with DAI. And now Luna, which is big in Southeast Asia and especially in Korea, is more or less like taking on that Ethereum ecosystem, but using Bitcoin to do it. Really wild to see this. Another tangential story along with this is Bitcoin's price is not really moving, even though there's another huge Bitcoin buyer out there. So last year, we saw Tesla, we saw a bunch of uh, insurance companies like MassMutual buy up Bitcoin, and that moved Bitcoin's price up quite a bit. This is a lot of Bitcoin being bought, and the price is really just doing nothing. He doesn't care at all. Uh, I don't know why or how. I'm not a markets guy, but it's just like fascinating just to see these huge orders, and then Bitcoin's price doesn't budge. Zach, I want to get your take on this, especially the first part, when you see these altcoins that are basically going after Ethereum's playbook, but using Bitcoin to do it, like, what are you getting from that? And from your uh, reporters and from the people, the contacts and sources you talk with, what are are they getting out of this story?
1: Okay, hear me out. I think this is a community acquisition play, right? This is Terra saying, all right, we want the Bitcoiners to be with us, and they're, they're making a bet that not only will this be a sound reserve asset for the long haul, it'll also buy them the good graces of the Bitcoin community. But this was sort of the case a little bit earlier in this cycle with LFG making these buys. And we're also interestingly seeing it with Avalanche as well, right? They committed yeah. you know, Terraform Labs, which is the firm that uh, spun up the Terra blockchain, and also the Luna Foundation Guard. They each chipped in $100 million to buy some AVAX, which is the native token of the Avalanche blockchain. That one, I think, is an even more clear example of sort of this community acquisition approach that Doquan and Luna and the Terra ecosystem seems to be pursuing here. They're saying, okay, we're going to create sort of a strategic alliance between some of these chains. We're also going to create sort of like an affinity between Bitcoin and Luna. I think it's something that will probably serve them well in the long run and kind of speaks, I think, to the tribal nature of crypto. These are communities that care about some of these assets and building bridges sort of in the community sense between these two Tribes or three tribes now that we're talking with here with the addition of AVAX to the mix. I think it's something that's going to be really interesting to see unfold. We're going to have sort of these, these little allyships that are happening between these different communities. So I think in the big picture, that's what it is. I think the Bitcoin thing is certainly about a reserve asset play that may or may not outperform other assets that would back these projects over time. It's interesting to see. And I'd be curious to know if there's going to be other sort of allyships brokered between the Terra folks and other crypto communities out there in the form of some of these big buys. Tyrone, I'm going to toss it to you. I mean, from the Bitcoin angle, you know, why no price action? Why
3: no response from the market after some of these big buys? I think there's a lot of things at play here. I think, one, you look at the long term holders of Bitcoin are continuing to accumulate. I think retail is washed out, right? So you don't have a lot of the retail action. They've run away. And I think we're in this period and phase now where if you look at Bitcoin, its correlation to traditional markets is behaving just like that. So It's responding to news. And there really hasn't been any news. And those that are loosely following the space don't know what the hell Luna is. (laughs) So they're not going to buy or react off of that. The other thing here that is really interesting is the regulatory environment. As the stablecoin space starts to evolve, there is this regulatory overhang that is happening right now. So I think that is causing a lot of pause from the institutional investor, if you will, that is moving markets and lastly, I think we're setting up for a really interesting battle, if you will, between the MakerDAO and the Luna folks. So there's a lot of things at play here where everyone is just kind of hands off and seeing what happens. And I think, you know, the price action in Bitcoin is reflected in that. It's just going to sit there like a pet rock until something happens that everyone feels is going to you know, call for an explosive move. This isn't really it.
0: Don't call Bitcoin a pet rock. That's so insulting love to, that to
3: thousands of investors. No, I have, a, I have a love affair with Bitcoin. Everyone knows that. But <laughs> That's a gold. It's gold gold. Just Tyron, Tyron, there right now. Won't. Like, do <laughs> something.
1: Okay, Tyrone, we'll, we'll do like a character, like persona one day. But, you know, Will, he's the resident Bitcoin maxi. So please don't trigger Got him. it. Got
3: but it. No, George listen, is the I'll Bitcoin him. i, I Bitcoin. Maxi.
0: Fair. i know Fair. but george Fair.
2: isn't here all the time yeah, no and so when he's not here you've got to fill that role
0: how did i become the bitcoin max He was the ethereum reporter. you got like your, you got like the six. jack Mahler's
1: like hat look with the hair coming down right I do now today. so <laughs> even visually you're this? channeling bitcoin very max popular
0: for it. white guys in their early 20s I coming out of miami that. yeah it's big
1: time <laughs> it's <a strong laughs> all right, jen, jen <laughs> lfg what are your what are your thoughts is lfg going to be the savior that bitcoin needs here uh in this market
2: I mean, I don't know. I had a bunch of questions that all of you guys answered really well. I mean, when I read this article, I I thought, wow, now they have more exposure to Bitcoin than Tesla, and we haven't seen any movement in the market. And to what Tyrone was saying, my initial thought was, yeah, every other time we've seen this, we've had this big, splashy news, mainstream companies, Michael Saylor all over the news talking about why it's so important to have to continue to buy Bitcoin and have that long-term strategy. And with this, if you don't follow the space quite closely, you don't really know what's going on. So I think maybe that's what happened there. I am in no way, shape, or form a markets expert, but that's what I thought when I read the story this morning. All right, we are going over to India where a lot of things are happening, so stay with me. Crypto trading volumes in India are down as much as 72% after the new tax law came into effect. India's new crypto tax law enforces 30% tax on profits from crypto transactions and does not allow setting off losses from other crypto transactions. Now, like I said, there's a lot to watch in India right now. Last week, Coinbase started crypto trading there. They said that they're going to be making a long-term investment in the country. Yesterday, they suspended the option to purchase crypto through India's UPI system due to attention from regulators. So it's just this kind of like push and pull we've seen in India over, I'd say, the past year when it comes to regulation, when it comes to adoption, and when it comes to some of the big players here in North America playing there. So there's a lot to unpack here. Tyrone, I'm going to pass it off to you first. What did you make of the significant decline we saw in the story?
3: Massive market that everyone wants to tap into. I think it's huge that this is a market that needs to get into the space. And if we continue to have these type of issues and this type of response in India, other large markets, it doesn't pretend well, right, for what we're going to see here from the regulatory standpoint, but also as we want crypto to become this, right, the future of global markets. Responses like this kind of give folks pause, but it's good to see that, again, we're making some progress in India and in Africa and other places, but these are large markets that need to get in. But these responses kind of make you go, oh, man, what's going to happen here in the U.S.? But good that we're starting to see at least some progress, albeit ones that the responses that we don't want as far as the price action.
0: Now, Shout out to Coindesk and Amkar Goblet and other reporters at Coindesk for tracking this story. I don't think a lot of people have good information about this market in general, which is to Tarone's point: a huge net negative for the space because there's a massive market for crypto in India, just like we saw a massive market in China and Southeast Asia in general for crypto, and that dried up a lot after all these like Bitcoin bans and Bitcoin mining bans and stuff over the last year. Like this market is maybe even bigger and more significant in the long run. So it's important to see that we have regulation on the ground, but it's also to, important to see like the net effects here: seventy-two percent drop in trading volume on the largest exchange in India. That is people's jobs that work in that exchange. And that is people's money who used to use that exchange. And that is people's coins that were tied to that exchange as well. So it's really important to be tracking this stuff. It's going to have a huge effect on the crypto market in general. And maybe that's like a reason for looking at prices today and understanding why they are where they're at. I think just like looking at the India market specifically... That 30% tax rule that came in that basically brought taxation on crypto to the same level that securities and equities are taxed in India. So they wanted some sort of similar goalpost for everyone across the board, whether that's fair or not. Crypto trying to be money, securities, obviously, investments in a company. Those are two different topics. You could you know, debate that all day long. That 30% obviously drove people away. And that money probably just went to other exchanges that are not in India, right? It's as easy as booting up a VPN and moving your coins from one address to another. So I think like the long-term story here is government coming in and killing young technology companies because of excessive regulation or at least regulation that wasn't thought out as clearly. I think the last story that we had at Coindesk about this noted that some people were happy with the regulation because they actually had something to work off of for the first time. There's been India bans crypto headlines for years now, but at least we know what the rules are now, but it doesn't seem like they were good enough for the market. Like people are are leaving these exchanges. Zach, I want to get from
1: you though. I mean, I like the Coinbase angle here. That to me is like the interesting part, right? They said, Hey, we're going to do this thing. We're partnering, we're going in. And then all of a sudden, like the regulators were like tweeting, like, we don't know what you're talking about. And so Coinbase was sort of like put on the defensive. They're like, uh, okay. Yeah, we're not doing it. We need to have more conversations. And I think, you know, Will, to your point, right. It's not just these regulations stifling young companies. this is probably the biggest blue chip in crypto trying to go into this massive market in a way that is compliant and facing very stiff headwinds, right to the point where they're having to like regroup and like think about what the next step is to make sure that this happens. You know this came after they announced something like they were going to hire a thousand people in the Indian market. This is a material concern for Coinbase, which is obviously a big player in the space, and they're saying, okay, well, shoot, you're right, we need to have more conversations to educate these regulators about. this is actually beneficial to the indian economy and it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds and i think like to me that's a real bellwether if coinbase can't get it over the finish line that's going to like signify future difficulty for establishing crypto companies in a major way in that market if they can make it happen and sort of lay out a template and coinbase is ultimately successful in expanding and investing in that country then hey maybe this could work out in the end but again india seems to be that country that is always kind of vacillating back and forth between like okay cool green light for crypto oh, red light for crypto. We might see a China ban. Oh, okay, cool. Here's a, here's a tax uh, framework that is at least established and clear. Oh, okay, but actually we have some lingering questions about how it's going to be enforced. So India continues to be that story. And for me, I'm going to be watching if the Coinbase thing can resolve itself in time. Uh, Jen, I'm going to toss it to you for final thoughts before we change.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to quickly add, I think we're going to see that push and pull I alluded to in the segment's intro continue to play out. So when we talk about the new tax rule in India, the most concerning part is this 1% tax deducted at source liability, which hasn't come into effect yet. It's supposed to come into effect on July 1st. And this is what lawyers and exchanges are worried about. There was a Coindesk article that was published last week that said, you know, a lot of lawyers are saying that maybe this new tax law can be challenged, but we're not quite sure. I think Coinbase also said in an article that it's going to be super hard to comply with this 1% deducted at source tax rule. So I think that we're, we may see things get worse before it gets better, but at least we're having the conversations and at least we have something to work off of, which we can't always say here in North America.
1: Right. fair, fair. Well put. It's my turn. Well put. <laughs> Tyrone, you are taking the next one. Go for it.
3: I am up. Leave it to me to bring up legacy finance on a crypto show. But Ariel Investments and Charles Schwab recently put out a report that I found extremely compelling, mainly what's on the screen here. But I, but I want to get to that two ways. One, in the report, it was talking about Black investors versus white investors and the change of demographics with new investors coming into the space. A lot of African-Americans are coming into crypto and investing for the first time. But Here on the chart here, you see something that's really important. 38% of those under 40, 25% of those in the space overall. But I think if you look at the screen here at the four of us, it's diverse, right? Everything that traditional finance could not be, crypto is just because. And there was no trying there. So I tweeted when this originally came out because the folks at Ariel Investments and Schwab were concerned that the amount of young African-Americans that were coming into crypto were looking at outsized returns. I think they were expecting 20% returns that they knew that these were risky investments, but they were going in in size anyway. And I said, I thought that was a good thing. When you pair it with financial education, especially we're in Financial Literacy Month, I think that is a good thing that investors are coming to investing for the first time because of crypto, Um, especially for me as an advisor trying to get you know, black and brown folks in the markets for a very long time, and they wouldn't listen. It's for those people. It's for them. They came with crypto with no one dragging them. They came on their own and they're learning. So I think that is a really good thing. And again, indicative of the four faces that are on the screen. To me, this is the promise of crypto networks and the crypto ecosystem. But Will, I'll hop to you on that one and your, your thoughts here.
0: Yeah, I have two thoughts from this story. The first one is it's so frictionless to get involved with crypto. And that's what you really see in these numbers, right? I need to boot up a wallet on my iPhone. I need to go to an exchange and I just need to add some cash to it and boom, and I have some crypto in my wallet and I can do whatever I want with it. I can swap stable coins. I can put up something for interest. I can buy an NFT if I want. Like You are instantly involved into a financial economy that is otherwise completely walled off to other people, completely walled off to the unbanked. Go get a bank account. You need an ID. You need to have an address you have a bunch of things that other people are not able to do because their lives aren't set up in that way. And now with crypto, all those walls are gone. You literally just need an iPhone. Maybe don't even an iPhone. You can just have your buddy do it for you. Like it's, it's that simple to get involved into this new financial economy. Second thing that was interesting to me out of this report was that they said, quote, black investors are also more likely than white investors to believe in investments in cryptocurrency are both safe and regulated by the government. To me, this is a really persistent, I don't know if it's like necessarily a lie or just like a misunderstanding, but that crypto is unregulated. Crypto is definitely regulated. Just depends on how you're talking about regulation. Obviously, like some of the best headlines we're seeing over the last two years have been about regulation because a lot of people have concerns and questions about it. Those concerns and questions are, is crypto going to be different is it going to be differently regulated than others in the future like is the government going to go after bitcoin for some reason or is it going to go after crypto in general broad strokes or is it going to continue to be regulated in the way it has been for the last decade the irs spoke on crypto back in 2014 sec has been going after bad actors for years they might be slow but they're still going after bad actors and a lot of the scams you see are mostly overseas so to see like this persistent claim within this financial analysis that it's not regulated by the government and that people are misunderstanding that and acting like it is regulated by the government. It's just, it's wrong. It's like a wrong question to ask. I think there's other questions you can ask around that that are important about like the oh. level of regulation. Is it good or bad? But to say it's not regulated, it's, it's like setting these people up to fail for the question. Uh, I want to throw it up to Zach and get your thoughts on this.
1: I saw Jen's hand, so I'm going to toss it back to her and then she can toss it to me. Oh, so my Jen, bad, Jen. You got it.
2: Okay. I was just about to type thank you to the YouTube commenters who said, bless me for that sneeze in the middle of the segment. So thank yes. you. Thank you. Bless okay, you. I so, didn't even see you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you guys just left me <laughs> hanging. Anyways, uh, when I read this story, I thought about this initiative that started in the South Bronx. It's called Crypto in Context. And it, it was really created to educate young black and brown people in the South Bronx about what crypto could do for them. And it wasn't just about investing in crypto, but they learn about working in crypto and the technology and and how crypto can help contribute to this generational wealth and, and help contribute to black and brown people amassing wealth that maybe they couldn't do before because of traditional financial systems. And I was speaking to one of the instructors of this initiative, and he said one of the first questions he asked these young people who are in their 20s is, you know, where's the nearest bank in your community? And the actual nearest physical branch of a bank was more than 12 blocks away. And the financial services or institutions that were close to their neighborhoods were payday loan places. And so it was really easy for them to understand like, wow, there's this opportunity for me here in crypto. Like Will was saying, it's really easy to set up a wallet and get started. And I feel like there's a place here for me. And so when I saw these numbers, that scenario that I heard of, the numbers really spoke to them. What I zeroed in on was this kind of call for more education. And I think Mm -hmm. that the platforms and publishers that are creating this education are doing a really great job, but maybe some of them aren't representative of the audience in the way that we should be. I mean, we're super representative on this show here today, and I think Coindesk does a really great job at it, but I would love to urge more of the institutions and people and everyone who's creating content and educational content to really think about the audience and and think about the people who you're putting in place to create that content and make sure that that's representative because that will help address some of these education numbers that we saw here in this report.
3: Well said. Mic drop. That was awesome. That was, good. That was <laughs> good. Yeah,
1: I mean, I thought this was really interesting. I thought the tone of this report was really interesting and somewhat patronizing, actually. I thought, like, the idea that you know, but risks emerge that people who historically have not had access to the upside of financial markets are saying, "Oh, okay, here's an avenue for me to do that in a new way." And here comes a report from Charles Schwab saying, "Hey, but watch out! They're doing this in a new way. That's dangerous. We should be risky." I mean, there are certainly risks in crypto investing, and it is certainly a far more volatile asset class than other things in the market. But the idea that people should be sort of like, you know, like tisk tisk for investing in cryptocurrency here is something that is a bit off-putting in this report itself. So it was interesting to see sort of the phraseology that, that was attached to some of these actually really interesting and I think positive usage numbers among certain segments of the population. So to see this sort of phrased in like, but risks emerge and here's some danger out there was a bit weird. So I don't know. I'm going to kick it to Tyrone for last thoughts on this one. and Then we'll wrap this show after that. Tyrone. What do you got?
3: Yeah. Last thoughts are simple on my end. I think there's a vast need for investor education, investor education for those coming into the market and for those that put reports out like this that really don't understand why folks are coming to it. No real time payment system in this country, a lack of desire to own or interact with legacy systems that weren't set up for those that are considered an underclass in this country and a young investor base that are very used to doing these things on their phone. It's not scary to them. We need to get over that hump, mass educate folks and bring more people into financial markets. I think that's the only way this works. That was some good sats right there. Way to close it on two <laughs>
1: Satoshi's well said. All right, that's it for the hash today, but we will be back tomorrow with more of the hash. And I think today is also the first day of our podcast experiment. So if you are hearing this in your ears without using your eyes, thank you for trying that out. We appreciate it. Oh, we doing this on a podcast now? Yeah, Will, you it. We a an
2: announcement.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, we're amazing. We're everywhere. So, oh, there it is. And look at that. There's a nice thing that you can see if you're watching the television version. It's wow. the hash starting Monday. Crypto Podcast Network, CoinDesk, killing it. All right, that's amazing. Thanks, everybody. I'm Zach Seward. We got Tyrone Ross. We got Will Foxley, and we have the great Jen Sanassi. Bless you, Jen, today and every day. Sneeze or no sneeze. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. <laughs> and do it again. It. This is Coindesk TV and The Hash. <laughs> Peace. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.